0: Our first reading is Psalm 49 on page 404. Hear this, all you peoples. Listen, all who live in this world, both low and high, rich and poor alike. My mouth will speak words of wisdom. The utterance from my heart will give understanding. I will turn my ear to a proverb. With the harp I will expound my riddle. Why should I fear when evil days come, when wicked deceivers surround me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of their great riches? No man can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for him. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough that he should live on forever and not see decay. For all can see that the wise men die. The foolish and the senseless alike perish and leave their wealth to others. Their tombs will remain their houses forever, their dwellings for endless generations, though they had named lands after themselves. But man, despite his riches, does not endure. He is like the beasts that perish. This is the fate of those who trust in themselves and of their followers who approve their sayings. Like sheep, they are destined for the grave, and death will feed on them. The upright will rule over them in the morning. Their forms will decay in the grave, far from their princely mansions. But God will redeem my life from the grave. He will surely take me to himself. Do not be overawed when a man grows rich, when the splendor of his house increases, for he will take nothing with him when he dies. His splendor will not descend with him. Though while he lived he counted himself blessed and men praise you when, they pro- when you prosper, he will join the generation of his fathers who will never see the light of life. A man who has riches without understanding is like the beasts that perish.
1: The second reading is from the New Testament book of Titus, chapter 2, verses 11 to 15. This can be found on page 844. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These, then, are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. This is the word of God.
2: Again, let me add my welcome, especially if uh, you're new visiting, passing through. It's great that you're able to join us here this morning. Uh, the Titus reading is probably the better one to have open of uh, the two readings we have though let me prepare you in the lead up to christmas we haven 't been looking as much at one particular part of the Bible but but an idea we 've been looking at the cross uh, rather than focusing on Jesus in the manger we 've been looking at him uh, on Calvary that we might understand and appreciate him all the more in the lead up to christmas we 've seen all its different facets uh, surveyed its various wonders we 've seen how it 's Uh, the cross itself has affected and transformed God, how we have been saved from wrath, the the example and model of love it is for us and the victory that Christ won for us over sin, death and the devil. All these things getting a stronger and greater appreciation, not just because it's interesting but because the cross changes lives. Uh, So how about I pray that God might indeed work and change our lives as we survey again the cross. Let's pray. Our Lord and Father, we Thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that you are good, uh, even when we fail to be. Uh, We thank you that uh, even though uh, we've turned our backs on you, uh, you and your kindness have revealed yourself to us in your word, and we pray that your spirit would be bringing your word to life in our hearts and minds now. Uh, Father, as we reflect again on the cross, uh, please change us. Uh, Please make us different. Please make us people Uh, who live for your pleasure. Uh, Father, we ask that we would grow to be more and more like our wonderful Saviour. In Jesus' name, Amen. Uh, Australian sociologist Hugh Mackay in his book, uh, What Makes Us Tick, uh, he delves into uh, the ten desires that he identifies that drives In No particular order, He, he tries to make sense of why we do what we do. So he covers things, desires that most of us would agree are, are powerful driving forces in all our lives. I'm not going to run through the whole book for you, but let me take one example. The desire to be taken seriously. That drives us. Uh, that we act because we want to be respected, we want to be noticed, we want to matter to someone, we want to be appreciated. You know, we, we desire to be understood and valued as a person. We, we long and are driven for acceptance and remembrance. And you hear that kind of list and you go, yeah, you know, I do want all those things. We all want those things. But what struck me most about each of uh, Micaiah's 10 chapters as you go through it is, he, is that every desire produces both wonderful and terrible outcomes. You know, so uh, the desire we have to belong uh, is beautiful. It makes us congregate, it makes us cooperate, it makes us want to work with other people and you know, go to coffee shops and enjoy each other's company. But that same desire to belong makes us exclude others. My tribe only matters if I can define who's not in my tribe. So the the same language that we use to keep people close, we also use to keep outsiders further on the edge. The things that make us tick have dark edges. Because so strong are our desires that we're willing to, to push the bounds of what's right to get it we don't like it. So we have to ask, what can make us tick in a different way? How can we tick without that dark shadow? So this morning as we survey again the wondrous cross, I want us to see how the cross gives us a driving desire without that dark side. Uh, see, the cross, just as uh, we, Virginia read for us in Titus, Christ bought for himself a people of his very own eager to do what's good. See, in, in doing so, at the cross, Christ transforms his people. He changes what makes us tick. Now, two points I want us to hold on to this morning. Uh, one is that Christ has redeemed his people at great cost. Uh, and secondly, that he bought us for good. So, firstly, he's redeemed us, he's bought us at great cost. Uh, the cross is not just an act of love, it was redemption. That is, it was a single, expensive transaction to purchase many. Uh, as Titus 2.13, the end of it, puts it, our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, gave himself for us to redeem us. You know, the, the cost is clear, isn't it? Our redemption costs nothing less than God himself. You know, Psalm 49 that Andrew read for us raised the problem, didn't it? Uh, that for all the wealth in the world, it couldn't be solved. Uh, Psalm nine seven put it, no man can redeem the life of another. Or give to God a ransom for him. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough that he should live on forever and not see decay. the, The psalm talks about why would you bother envying the rich? Because even the rich with all their wealth can't buy themselves out of the biggest problem they have. They can't redeem their lives. They can't go on and live forever. But it does hint at the solution. In 49 verse 15, God will redeem my life from the grave. He will surely take me to himself So God's people have always been confident that that God would bear the price that they couldn't pay to take them from sin, to take them from death, to take them from futility and, and the paradox of our desires. But who would have guessed that it would require God giving his own life? Even Jesus' closest friends didn't guess that. So in Mark ten forty five, Jesus explains to them in no uncertain terms that he had come to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And even then, his closest friends didn't understand it. Again, you know, we, we can look back in hindsight and how clever we are and think, why did they not get it? But no, no, no. Why would they? Now, what king would redeem a servant with his life? I read a a superintendent's talk on the art of hostage negotiation. No particular reason why. (laughs) Hadn't been involved in any hostage negotiations, but uh, at no point, though, in this manual and this guide did it suggest that the negotiator should go and take the hostage's place and do an exchange as a form of a ransom. Uh, Certainly didn't suggest that you should offer the Prime Minister or the Queen to take the place. You know, you let that hostage go, we'll we'll substitute Julia Gillardian. But at the cross... God pays the cost himself, the greater for the lesser. You know, No one person could pay to redeem another because that ransom hangs over us all. But God spares nothing. God becomes one of us that he might buy us back with his own life. You know, the, and the effects of that are far-reaching. Uh, it's got a universal ransom effect. Um, so Titus 2 speaks of it being for many. Uh, in 1 Timothy 2 6, we read that Christ Jesus gave himself as a ransom for all men. Um, don't misunderstand, it's not the sense of all males uh, to the exclusion of females. No, it's, it's trying to carry the idea of universal access. It doesn't matter about your ethnic or your social or your financial or your education background, it's irrelevant. Christ's ransom can purchase you. No matter how highly you view yourself, you need him to pay your ransom. No matter how lowly you view yourself, he willingly pays your ransom. The cost of the cross declares something about the character of God, but also says something about our identity. We are valuable treasures. We who are in Christ are now his treasured possession. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6 talks about how because of the cross, you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. The cross stamps on us that we are permanently his. Uh, not in the sense of just being a, a, another piece of property. And a b- biblical redemption is always a personal thing. And uh, not just about getting another trophy to hang on the, uh, on, on the ledge. And that, that's the insight. The, this personal nature is the insight of the biblical story of Ruth. If you haven't read the book of Ruth for a while or at all, it's in the Old Testament. Look it up. It's in the first part of your Bible. Read it later on. It's a beautiful story. Because it's, it's redemption capturing that personal loving sense. So there's this uh, destitute, foreign, despised widow Ruth. She made a decision she would stay with her, her mother-in-law, cling to her, be loyal to her and be loyal to the true God. Uh, cutting to the end of the, the story, the story finishes with the wealthy Boaz redeeming her. You know, he takes on her debts and he bears the community's disregard of her ethnicity, Uh, He does what other people had the opportunity to do, but they turned it down. No, he redeems her in the sense that he has assumed full responsibility for all her care. He has seen her and loved her and treasured her. She is no longer her own. She is his. She is his beloved treasure. That's the sense of redemption that the cross is saying about us in Christ. We are not our own. We have been bought at a price, a great price. The cross says... You are valuable. The measure of true value is never in just cash terms, is it? But in what you're willing to give up for something. Knowing a house is worth a million dollars doesn't actually reveal its value. Uh, The value is in the impact it had on the owner. Uh, So the million dollar house is everything to the person earning less than six figures, but it's nothing to Bill Gates. It doesn't impact him. God values you so highly that... He is willing to give up his own son. You know, I think many people spend their lives wanting to know that we matter, wanting to prove to somebody that you know we're valuable. And you know, if that resonates with you, if you've been striving for that, take the weight off. Christ values so you so highly that he gave up the treasures of heaven to suffer and die for you. you know, the cross and its redemption and the ransom Christ pays says you are valuable. Apart from what you do. You know, that's what releases us from the, from the dark side of desire. Uh, Mackay's observation is that the dark side of desire comes from, from us thinking that it's the one way we'll attain our goals. We want these desires so much we'll do anything to get it. We exclude others because it makes us feel closer to our desire for a place of our own. You know, we desire to belong to a group so we, so we cast our consciences aside and just go along with the crowd to fit in. To quote him, it is sobering to realise our desire can cast a shadow dark enough to obscure our sense of right and wrong. The dark side comes because we think we have to earn our desires and achieve them on our own. But the cross undercuts it, it gives us that new way to tick. We can now act not to become valuable but because we are valuable. If you are confident that God loves you, then you will love other people. Uh, If you're confident God has accepted you, then you'll accept other people. If if you're confident he died for you, then you'll be able to lay down your life for others. If you're confident he's grace to you, you can be gracious to others. And if you know that you are valuable and precious to God, then you won't have to resort to those dark edges of morality to meet your desires. Now, it's not going to guarantee perfection, but... But if you grasp not living as your own, then Christ's ransom will transform you. And that's the second point I want us to get, that that Christ bought us for our good, for good, sorry, for good. Now, I I am his. Uh, Every moment, every decision is under his ownership. And he has owned us purposefully. Now, whenever the Bible says, talks about redemption it goes on to talk about how you live differently because of this purchase we live for good now again that that passage from Titus 2 our great God and Savior Jesus Christ gave himself for us why to redeem us from all wickedness to purify for himself a people his very own eager to do what is good eager to do is good, excited. Uh, for, for those who are redeemed by Christ, you know the cross goodness is, is not optional, it's our passion. Now when in Mark 10, 45, uh, Jesus speaks about giving his life as a ransom for many, uh, he does it in this context of his disciples having an argument about who's the greatest, I'm the best, no, I'm the best, no, no. And, and what Jesus is doing is he's actually reorienting, redefining what greatness is. greatness is in doing good. Greatness is in putting others' needs ahead of your wants. In 1 Peter 1, verse 18, we we read, You know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, the futile way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. That is, our redemption is from lives of futility, uh, from, from lives that actually, in the end, take from us and don't achieve anything. Uh, someone critiques the desires of our world. Have our idols done us harm? The house devi- devours the housewife. Office rots the executive with ulcers. Canned entertainment leaves us incapable of entertaining ourselves. So we have been redeemed from that As Peter goes on to talk about, you can live, therefore, a life of value. That is, a life investing on what will last forever. A life marked by sincere love for your brothers and loving one another deeply from the heart. Why did Christ pay that great price? That we might do good. And the more we reflect on what it cost Christ at the cross, the more we are transformed. As someone put it, the cross is the blazing fire at which the flame of our love is kindled. But we have to get near enough to it for its sparks to fall on us. Christ redeemed us at a great cost that that we might do good. It's not just a comfort, it's a challenge. You would have observed that we hit that time of year where everyone's shifted into review mode. Uh, The end of year parties are on, the end of year children's celebrations are happening Uh, On the radio, clearly the announcers are about to go on holidays because they're doing their best of at the start of December. Uh, At this point, I'm tempted to ask that question, you know, was 2010 a good year? But the more I've looked at the cross this week, the more I've realised the question I should have been asking is, was 2010 a year in which I did good? Now, that's a big question. It can be a little hard to pinpoint and measure it. Let, Let me break it down into three questions that reflects God's eagerness for goodness. One, did you do good in the little things? Now, the redemption of the cross is an act of service, but, but it wasn't a one-off, that was Jesus' pattern of life. Uh, he demeaned himself, he did the, the kind of lowly and menial tasks of washing his disciples' feet, he, he did good in the little things. He attended to the needs of individuals. Even, then, even though he was busy and popular and much in demand, he still took the time for individuals. Um, even hanging on the cross, dying, bearing the weight of the sin of the world, he was concerned for his mother's future welfare. He did the little. Uh, Tim Chester tells a story. Uh, a missionary visited us, someone had moved across continents. Uh, now, that's a big choice for him and his family, but he never did the little things. He never offered to help with washing up, he never cleared the table. he'd maybe wonder if he'd moved continents because he treasured Christ or because he treasured his reputation. So a good measure of whether we did good in 2010 is not, did you start an international multi-million dollar charity? Uh, but did you do good in the little things? You know, the helping hand when... You weren't rostered on to the morning tea here at church or tidying the church. The willingness to come home from a long day at the office and still cook dinner for the family even though it wasn't your turn. Uh, in the having a hard day with the kids but still freeing your husband up to go and study the Bible at Connect that night. In taking time to listen to that difficult person. You had goodness in the little things. Second question to see if you've got that eagerness for goodness as you reflect, did you do good counterculturally? Now, Christ regarded the lepers and the outcasts. Uh, he, he even, you know, esteemed the devalued and burdensome children of others. I mean, everyone likes their own children, but other people's kids, well, Jesus welcomed them. Now, ultimately, the, the cross was, was folly and shame to the unbelieving and respectable world. He did good in a way that the respectable and good people didn't value. He did good counterculturally. A Christian CEO of a a US car dealership uh, worked out that, in general, uh, men were more persistent negotiators than women are. He also worked out uh, that Anglos are more determined to press their own interests than African Americans. But putting this together, he worked out that his car dealership and all the dealerships he owns, that the practice of being able to haggle and negotiate the price of the car in the end meant that black women, who were generally the poorest in the community, ended up paying the most and were his highest paying customers. And so in a desire for doing good, he actually overturned the normal policy at, well, all car dealerships, but certainly his one. He just said, the price is the price, there is no negotiations, because what he noticed was it was the most disadvantaged who lost out. You know, he was motivated by this biblical principle not to take advantage of, of widows and orphans, a disadvantage. And whether or not it was good business, he didn't care. He was just committed to doing good, even though it was countercultural. You know, that same challenge falls to us. You know, that, that measure of 2010 is whether our goodness stood against the tide or just flowed with it. I was really encouraged uh, yesterday at um, uh, the James Milson uh, Retirement Village Carols. One older lady I uh, was chatting to. She was just sharing, and she was just so thrilled. Uh, she was saying, what, what a good job our, our church was doing to have so many young people. At first I thought she was talking about my children who were there. I worked out she was talking about the people in their 20s and 30s. Uh, that it was so lovely to have these, these young people give up their Saturday afternoon to come and sing. You know, it wasn't a big thing, but she noticed it was countercultural. Third one to analyse it is, have you done good to those who aren't? Have you done good to those who aren't good? You know, over and over again, the cross is goodness to the undeserving. Uh, in Titus 2, the reason we needed redemption is because we're inclined to ungodliness. We're inclined to actually not wanting God in our lives. We rejected his goodness, and yet still he does the ultimate good. You know, the model of the cross is goodness to those who aren't. And Jonathan Edwards uh, challenged the normal patterns of goodness uh, when people told him, oh, I can't help anyone he would uh, clarify that and challenge them, saying, you mean you can't help anyone without it burdening yourself? Now, he took on as well the objection that oh, that person looking not going to help them, they've brought it on themselves, it's their own fault. And he points to how Christ loved us that way and encouraged people then to foolishly and perversely throw away the riches which we were provided with for the sake of those people. I suppose his words struck home to me again this week. I'd been, uh, someone had made contact with me again who had helped in the past with an alcohol problem. Uh, Even after another stint at rehab, uh, he's sadly fallen off the wagon again. And I know that I'm tempted to give up doing him good because of the way he keeps squandering his chances. But to do that means I'm only doing good to the good. To do that would fail to see how helping him protects others he's in contact with. Uh, To do that would fail to show the nature of the cross. For 2010 to be a year when I did good, it needs to include me doing good to those who aren't, just like Christ did with you and me. So let me ask you straight. What makes you tick? Is it in trying to earn the desires that burn in all of us? Is it that you strive after and drive yourself to belong, to be taken seriously, to find acceptance? Or is it in the satisfaction knowing those desires are met when you were purchased at the cross? Now may this be the heart of what makes us all tick, that our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ gave himself for us to redeem us ...from all wickedness and purify for himself a people of his very own... ...eager to do what is good. How about I pray? Our Lord and Father, we thank you that you see what we are really like... ...and yet you still treasure us. We thank you that you did not spare any cost... ...but gave up your son to buy us back and make us yours... ...your treasured possession... And Father, may we live differently because of that knowledge. May we live secure in the cross and may its flame spark us to go and do good, be eager to do good, to do things that please and honour you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.